These are very serious charges and reflect a pattern of lies and dishonesty over an extended period of time. Who's he talking about? Take your pick. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, on Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR in New Orleans on WHIV in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe for your listening convenience on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, amongst other fine affiliates across this fine land and this globe of ours. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us once again for today's thrilling broadcast because it is one of those days. Desi Doyen, one of those, I know, but this particularly is really one of those days. Everything out the window for uh, breaking news today. Well, not everything, but bear with us here as we muddle through the incoming avalanche just before airtime here. And that doesn't even include, by the way, the 7.0 magnitude earthquake in Caracas, Venezuela that just struck moments ago. Uh, This is turning out to be a very, very, very bad day for the president of the United States, Donald Trump with his former campaign chair found guilty of bank and tax fraud by a jury in Virginia on Tuesday, and his former personal lawyer and so-called fixer pleading guilty to fraud charges as well as campaign campaign finance violations related to payouts to women with whom Donald Trump had sexual affairs before becoming president and during his marriage to his third wife, Melania, that he had hoped to keep a secret from the American people by paying those women to stay quiet. So if you are planning on going anywhere near Twitter, over the next 24 hours, I might recommend you put on a helmet first. I'm just uh, just for your own safety. Just <laughs> saying at this point. Because there's just so much. Maybe bring an umbrella as well. So uh, let me hit those uh, two huge stories here very quickly before I promise we will be keeping our eyes at least on the prize, which is the November midterm elections as far as I'm concerned. And serious concerns that have been revealing themselves about those elections during the course of the primaries. 
And yes, it is primary day in two states today as well. So uh, we'll get to that in a moment, starting with the uh, breaking Manafort news first. A jury has found former Trump campaign chair Paul Manafort guilty after a three-week trial on tax and bank fraud charges. A major victory for special counsel Robert Mueller, according to the Washington Post, as he continues to investigate the president's associates. The jury convicted Manafort on eight of the 18 counts against him. The jury said they were deadlocked on the other 10 counts. U.S. District Court Judge T.S. Ellis declared a mistrial on those other charges, those 10, uh, those 10 counts on which the jury could not agree. Manafort was convicted on five counts of filing false tax returns, one count of filing of not filing a required IRS form and two bank fraud counts because Paul uh, Paul Donald Trump hires only the best people. Well, he, he keeps telling us, us again. that. Yeah. Oh, yes. Again and again. The verdict announced on Tuesday comes as President Trump has stepped up his criticism of Mueller's probe, publicly criticizing the investigation on an increasingly regular basis at this point. Manafort's guilty verdict, however, may strengthen Mueller's hand as he continues to investigate possible conspiracy and seeks an interview with the president. It's uh, thought that uh, an acquittal might have led uh, to a broader effort by right-wingers in Congress to shut down the special counsel's office. That may be at least a little bit harder for now, for the moment. The 18 charges in the Manafort trial centered around his personal finances. They had little to do with the special counsel's mandate of probing Russian interference in the 2016 election and whether any Trump associates conspired with those efforts. The jury had deliberated for some four days before announcing its verdict today. It is unclear whether there will be another trial on the uh, 10 of 18 counts that the jury could not decide on, but Manafort already faces a second trial coming up in September, just next month, in Washington, D.C., on charges that he failed to register as a lobbyist for the then-pro-Russian Ukraine government and conspired to tamper with witnesses in that case. Prosecutors charged that from 2010 to 2014, Manafort hid more than $15 million from the IRS, money that he made as a political consultant in Ukraine before uh, the pro-Russian party was ousted there. Manafort's funding stream subsequently dried up, and then for some reason he agreed to work for free, for free, as Donald Trump's campaign chair. So that upcoming trial could get a little bit closer to the Trump campaign itself, we shall see. Trump, for his part, said the conviction, quote, the conviction of Manafort, quote, has nothing to do with Russian collusion, and he called it a disgrace, according to an AP News alert just moments ago. Not clear if he meant his, uh, his campaign chair committing at least eight federal felonies was a disgrace, as most might see it, certainly most presidents might see it, or if he feels that uh, accountability and the rule of law is disgraceful in his eyes. But speaking of close to the Trump campaign and to Donald Trump himself, today's other huge breaking story just before airtime today, Michael Cohen, President Trump's former fixer, 
pleaded guilty on Tuesday to campaign finance and other charges. He made the extraordinary admission that he paid porn actress Stormy Daniels $130,000, quote, at the direction of the candidate, that a reference to Donald Trump, in order to secure her silence about an affair that she said she had with Donald Trump. So, again, Cohen says he did this, he made this payment at the direction of Donald Trump, then-candidate Trump. Cohn told a judge in U.S. District Court in Manhattan that the payment was, quote, for the principal purpose of influencing the election for president in 2016. Say that one more time, just so everybody hears it in the back seats. Well, that this was for the purpose of influencing the election? That? Yeah. That's why this was done, at least according to Cohen, uh, who is facing a pretty huge penalty for uh, that admission. He also pleaded guilty to multiple counts of tax evasion and bank fraud because tax evasion and bank fraud apparently is what people who hang with Donald Trump do. Golly, I wonder if Donald Trump himself ever did anything like that. Just asking, asking for a friend. This, uh, according to The New York Times, brings to a close the month-long investigation by Manhattan federal prosecutors, not by special counsel Robert Mueller's team. The Manhattan federal prosecutors had examined Cohen's personal dealings and his role in helping to arrange financial deals with women connected to Donald Trump. The plea agreement that Cohen made does not call for him, however, to cooperate with federal prosecutors in Manhattan. However, it does not preclude him from providing information to the special counsel, Robert Mueller, who is examining Trump campaign's possible involvement in Russia's alleged interference in the 2016 campaign. If Cohen were to substantially assist the special counsel investigation, the paper says Mueller could recommend a reduction in his sentence. According to the Washington, that could be important because according to the Washington Post, Cohen, who uh, pleaded guilty to eight violations of banking, tax and campaign finance laws on Tuesday, now faces a recommended jail sentence of between four and five years. And that's what he got for uh, a plea deal. Imagine how many years he might have been facing had this thing gone to court. So, yeah, he may have an incentive to work with the Mueller investigation at this point, since he's looking at somewhere between four and five years in federal prison, especially since attorneys who are, in fact, officers of the court who are supposedly well familiar with the rule of law, they are usually held to a much higher standard when it comes to sentencing in criminal cases than other folks might be who could claim a lack of familiarity with particular statutes. Deputy U.S. Attorney Robert Kuzami had this to say about uh, Michael Cohen and the plea agreement today in front of the uh, courthouse just after Cohen's uh, guilty plea. These are very serious charges and reflect a pattern of lies and dishonesty over an extended period of time. They are significant in their own rights they are particularly significant when done by a lawyer. A lawyer who, through training and tradition, understands what it means to be a lawyer, to engage in honest and fair dealing and adherence to the law. Mr. Cohen disregarded that training, disregarded that tradition, and decided 
that he was above the law, and for that he was going to pay a very, very serious price. One collateral effect of Cohn's uh, plea agreement, it should be noted, is that it would allow Michael Avenatti, the lawyer for Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. porn star Stormy Daniels, to proceed with a uh, deposition of Donald Trump in a lawsuit that Clifford uh, filed accusing Trump of breaking a non-disclosure agreement concerning their affair. The lawsuit had been stayed by a judge pending the resolution of Cohn's criminal case. So had there been the uh, trial, had that gone on for some time, that suit would have been uh, on hold. But now Avenatti uh, writes on Twitter today that he will now seek to force Donald Trump to testify, quote, under oath about what he knew, when he knew it, and what he did about it. Zounds. <laughs> I know, this is, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing, all of this. And I just want to point out, both of these stories came in almost at the same time. Yep. Almost literally at As the I same said, time. As I said, not a good day for Donald Trump. But uh, bad news, of course, for him as the most corrupt, dishonest president in the history of this nation. That is all well and good. But unless Democrats can take back the majority in one or both houses of Congress in this year's midterms, his uh, unchecked reign will likely continue. So towards that end, voters in Alaska and Wyoming are at the midterm primary polls on Tuesday. We'll have noteworthy results and our problem reports, no doubt, on our next broadcast. Some interesting races there that I had hoped to cover a little bit today, but that will have to wait for tomorrow. Among the Among the interesting races, by the way, is a challenge to the Senate Environment Committee Chair John Barrasso, his U.S. Senate nomination is being challenged by another Republican. There's a whole bunch of money in that race, specifically corporate lobbyist money for John Barrasso. Uh, some, what are we, uh, nearly half a million dollars from the oil and gas industry. And again, he heads the he heads the Environment Committee in the U.S. Senate. According to Open Secrets, Barrasso uh, has received so far just 8% of his funding from in-state contributions. Everything else is coming from somewhere else and somebody else uh, outside of the state. Uh, but speaking of things like corporate lobbyists and the environment, Desi, you will have details in today's Green News report. Also coming up later, if we can fit it in, on <laughs> Trump's new proposed replacement for Barack Obama's landmark clean power plan. <sighs> meant to uh, curb greenhouse gases and other pollutants from coal-fired power plants, as we discussed on yesterday's broadcast and as the Trump administration's EPA made official today. So that's coming up also today. But as to elections, as we always caution, problems and questions about results do not always come immediately on Election Day or even just after and though there were a lot of questions about Kansas's GOP gubernatorial primary two weeks ago in the state with the far right GOP voter fraud fraudster and secretary of state of Kansas, Chris Kobach, running for the nomination for governor against the sitting governor, Jeff Collier, that race was incredibly close, at least reportedly, at least according to the voting systems that they now use in Kansas with just about 100 votes separating the two candidates out of some 311,000 votes cast after election night failures of the computer tabulators 
in the state's most populous county. That would be Johnson County. That that failure left Election Day ballots uncounted until untabulated, I should say, either correctly or incorrectly. Who knows at this point? But it left those ballots uncounted until 5 a.m. on Wednesday morning due to the problems, unspecified problems still to this day with those tabulators in Johnson County, those brand that brand new system. I want to take a break here. We'll come back with election integrity advocate and attorney Jennifer Cohen, who traveled out to Kansas following the election, that primary election two weeks ago, to see what she could figure out about the race and the problems on those brand new ESNS touchscreen voting systems installed in Johnson County just months ago but which failed on election day and night in Kansas and, by the way, will be used. Those same machines will be used in some 16 states plus the District of Columbia in this November's general election. As we like to say around here, what could possibly go wrong? Just a bit of what has gone wrong and could definitely go wrong in Kansas, in Michigan, and yes, everywhere else. That's coming up next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I got to Kansas City on a Friday By Saturday I learned a thing or two Yes, she did Cause up to then I didn't have an idea Of what the modern world was coming to Welcome back to the Bradcast Brad Friedman from bradblog.com Yes, Jennifer Cohn may have learned a thing or two in her trip to Kansas We will get to her momentarily But the New York Times reports today that the Russian military intelligence unit that sought to influence the 2016 election appears to have a new target, conservative American think tanks that have broken with Donald Trump and are seeking continued sanctions against Moscow, exposing oligarchs or pressing for human rights. Among those targeted were the Hudson Institute, a conservative Washington think tank active in investigations of corruption in Russia, and the International Republican Institute, a nonprofit group that promotes democracy worldwide. Three other fake sites were crafted to appear as though they were affiliated with the U.S. Senate. Late on Monday night in a report scheduled for release today, Microsoft said that it had detected and seized websites that were created in recent weeks by hackers linked to the Russian military intelligence unit known as the GRU, or Fancy Bear, or APT-28, as they are referred to by the U.S. intelligence community, as well as by Special Counsel Robert Mueller, who has indicted 12 GRU officials for their alleged effort to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. The sites in question, identified and taken over by Microsoft by court order, appeared meant to trick people into thinking they were clicking through links managed 
by the Hudson, Insti in Hudson Institute and the International Republican Institute, but were secretly redirected to web pages created by the hackers to steal passwords and other credentials in a scheme said to be familiar to the one that tricked Hillary Clinton campaign chair John Podesta into giving up his password, which then resulted in his campaign email being hacked and then released before the 2016 election. Washington Post reports the fake sites underscore the aggressive role that Russian operatives are playing ahead of the midterm elections in the U.S. Officials have repeatedly warned that the November vote is a major focus for interference efforts, with Trump's director of national intelligence, Dan Coats, going so far as to say that all the warning lights are blinking red, just as they did before the 9-11 attacks. Meanwhile, as we are just over two months out from that 2018 midterm election, certainly the most crucial such election in modern U.S. history, perhaps all of U.S. history, problems with our voting systems that may or may not have anything to do with Russian interference continue to reveal themselves during state primaries being held across the country. I often warn uh, on this show that problems on Election Day don't always come to light, much less become clear as to what happened until days or weeks or even months after elections. We are only now beginning to learn details of whatever went wrong on Election Day in Wayne County, Michigan, for example. That's Detroit during that state's primary on August 7. Unspecified voting or counting or election night reporting problems occurred in the primaries there for the U.S. House in the state's 13th congressional district to fill the seat vacated by Democratic Congressman John Conyers. That night, there was no Republican primary. Democrats are running unopposed for that seat. But there were two primaries for the one seat. One was a special election to fill the seat from November to January, and the other a regular election for the regular November general election to be uh, with the winner to be seated in January with the rest of the U.S. House. In one race, in the special primary, Brenda Jones reportedly defeated Rahida Talib by about 2,000 votes. In the other, Talib defeated Jones by, from, uh, by a little less than 1,000 votes, assuring that she will become, along with another candidate from Wisconsin, the first female Muslim in Congress. But we still don't know why results were fluctuating on the election night reporting system on the night of August 7th. Last week, the Detroit Free Press reported, this was about a week after the election, that Wayne County's election night problems in displaying results online had nothing to do with the election's accuracy. That, according to a voting equipment executive who told that to the Wayne County election officials that week. Election source president Jeff DeLongchamp insisted that his, uh, his company's website, which showed random fluctuations in results of races in Wayne County on the night of the primary, that that had no connection to the voting process. He referred to it as a display website, likened it to a media website that displays election results. He said during a Wayne County Board of Elections uh, meeting that our website has no ability to change or count results at all. The county's primary elections were posted on a website that was hosted by the company, a private Grand Rapids-based election supply firm that works with Wayne County as a subcontractor. 
to Dominion Voting Systems. They're the ones who make the voting machines that are used in Wayne County. Election Source provides election support and services to more than 30 different Michigan counties. The ballots are tabulated on election night and uploaded onto a thumb drive, which is then used to post results on Election Source's website for Wayne County. These are our public elections. And if you're having trouble keeping up with the number of private companies who are involved in the entire process, who are passing data from one company to the next, well, uh, you're not alone. The website started going kind of nuts, uh, according to the Free Press, at 9.30 p.m. on the night of election uh, of the election. At one point, tabulations appeared to show more than 80 percent of precincts in certain races had been counted before dropping to less than 20 percent for some reason. Yes, the results uh, seem to have gone backwards that night. But we are told we shouldn't worry our pretty little heads about it. The company says record-breaking voter turnout caused the unexpected overload of data, which the website could not handle, according to the company's president. Now, why turnout numbers, voting turnout numbers, should cause a problem for the website reporting system that's unclear to me at this hour. Uh, had the guy said that uh, higher than expected traffic to the website caused the problems, that might have made more sense. But for now, we are simply left to guess and to wonder how things will work out for those 30 Michigan counties that rely on this private vendor uh, this November when turnout and traffic both are really expected to be heavy. Wayne County Clerk. Kathy Garrett said that there are various controls in place to ensure the election's accuracy, including memory cards containing vote totals. Garrett agreed that election sources problems were independent of the election results. Detroit City Council President Brenda Jones, who ran in both of those primaries and won the special, said this process has truly severely damaged the belief of many of the citizens that the electoral process is fair based on what I have been hearing and what I have seen. Which brings us to the great state of Kansas and their Republican primary uh, for governor, which was also held on August 7. That was a race between Secretary of State Chris Kobach and the sitting governor, Jeff Collier. According to Jennifer Cohen, Chris Kobach, Kansas's top election official, recently declared victory in the highly publicized Republican gubernatorial primary in Kansas, surpassing his opponent, that would be Governor Jeff Collier, by about 300 votes out of some 311,000 that were cast after provisional and late vote-by-mail ballots were finally added to the election night tallies. Although Collier surprisingly conceded about a week after the election when he was said to be behind Kobach by just over 100 votes, on, on election night, it was this vaguely described election day computer glitch that they had. We call those things failures, by the way, but the media call them glitches, uh, specifically in Johnson County, Kansas, the state's most populous. That glitch, so-called, has cast a shadow over the legitimacy of Kobach's victory, according to Cohen. She notes that at 9 p.m. on August 7th, that's Election Day, with 10 of Johnson County's precincts reporting and just one other smaller county left to report, Collier had led Kobach by 44 votes in the state and by 13 percent in Johnson County. But 
At 9.07 p.m., a reporter for the Kansas City Star posted that the county would not display further results for hours due to a computer glitch. And by the next morning, at almost 6 a.m., the county finally finished publishing its remaining unofficial results, putting Kobach narrowly ahead of Collier. Johnson County later explained that the problem involved its new ESNS Express Vote touchscreen barcode ballot marking system. More than a week later, however, ESNS has yet to explain the precise cause of that problem. On the weekend after the election, attorney turned election integrity advocate turned journalist Jenny Cohn flew out to Johnson County to see what she could learn about what happened for the Young Turks investigative reporting arm TYT Investigates and she joins us now to explain what, if anything, she was able to learn out there. Jennifer Cohn, welcome back to the broadcast. Hi there. Thank you for having me. So glad to have you back. Uh, welcome back from Kansas. Glad you got there and back safely. Uh, I should note uh, you are not in Kansas anymore. Um, oh, I was just there for one day. For one <laughs> day. And I was out. I wanted to get there quickly. What? And see what I could find while memories were fresh. Yeah. But um, it didn't work out so well. Well, that's what I want to find out. Uh, before we discuss some of the specific points that you reported on rego- regarding the vote totals, what were you able to learn? What were you able to figure out on the ground in Johnson County as the counting of provisionals was still going on uh, from that brand new ESNS express vote barcoded system? Did anyone let you know what went wrong during the election night tabulation? No, really, the, the main news that I got from going to Johnson County personally was that they were not willing to give us any information, which is news in itself, I suppose, not what I was looking for. So I, I flew down to the county, yeah. and I went. I, I told them I was coming. Um, mm-hmm. I can't say that I was promised an interview or anything with the election commissioner, although I had requested one. I wasn't told I wouldn't get one. Mm-hmm. I had said um, that I really wanted to come down while memories were still fresh, and the guys seemed to think that made sense. And um, I didn't. I said I wanted to speak with the commissioner and anyone else there who was, you know, could tell me about what happened on election day. And I said I wanted to see the machines and the guy or gal I spoke with um, had said specifically that they didn't think that would be a problem. They certainly had a lot of the machines there. This was the election. I think was on a Wednesday, and I spoke with them on Thursday. Oh, no, so two, I didn't well, it was on Thursday night. It was on a two, the election was on Tuesday, but the final oh. results. You're right. Uh, did not come okay, in so until maybe Wednesday was, morning. Maybe it was yeah. the day after that right. TYT asked me to do it, mm-hmm. and so then I spoke with them on Wednesday, and I just caught a flight. Pretty directly, and I was there Friday with, um, as it turns out, quite a few other local reporters, though, sitting around in the lobby. Um, I had waited for a call back. I didn't want to just appear Mm -hmm. and be rude, thinking that the guy was actually going to call me back because he said he would. And he knew I was coming from California, but I never did get the call back. So um, I finally went in. You're talking about the uh, Ronnie Metzger, the Johnson County Election Commissioner? Um, I never spoke with Metzger. I spoke with his assistant, okay. um, one of his assistants, uh, and who was very friendly and said, yes, he was the guy I should speak with. Mm-hmm. The assistant was the guy I should speak with to arrange this, and he said he'd get back to me, and he just didn't. So I finally I showed up um, at about well, 11 o'clock and did some filming outside, and then I went in about 11.45 with a cameraman. And, yeah, there were a lot of local media sitting around. Some had apparently shown up really early in the morning and told to come ba- been told to come back later. And we were just stonewalled really all day long um, about everything. So in other words, by stonewalling, it would have been better if they had just said no 
the commissioner is busy today and there is nobody else who can show you anything and it's just not going to happen for you today because then I could have also gone to interview other people, right? But instead, they just kept saying, um, you know, he's, he's at lunch right now, he should be back at 12.30 and then I gather he came in through the back door because a while later they said, yes, he was back. We didn't see him come in. But he was on a phone call, and they'd let us know when he was available. And then they kept coming back about every hour. So just when your head was about to explode or my head was about <laughs> to explode, someone would pop out and say, oh, he's in a meeting right now, but we'll definitely let you know as soon as it's over. Well, and it just never happened. Well, if he so. was if he was the guy who uh, you were supposed to speak to and you never talked to them, were you at least allowed to see the machines that you had wanted to no. see? Were you able to oversee any of the tabulation that was going on while you were still there? No, and I, no. So as for the machines, I was told that Metzger would be the only person who could possibly show me the machines. I had initially told the guy I wanted a demonstration, but I downgraded saying, can I at least just see what they look like? Can we just get a picture for our story? I wasn't the only one asking. Other reporters were asking, and they said, we'll get back to you. And then they'd disappear and that just went all day long until five when it closed. Now we should um, note that so, he is also the uh, he was appointed. He's the head of the Johnson County Election Commission, but uh, the uh, largest four counties in Kansas are actually appointed by the Secretary of State, which happens to be Chris Kobach, whose uh, election for the, uh, the yeah, primary candidate contest, Kobach. yeah, candidate Kobach for governor, was the one in question here. Yeah. Um, so, but just quickly on the tabulating, mm-hmm. we did. I, I could. They wouldn't even tell me if they were tabulating in the building. The woman I spoke with said she'd have to ask someone before she could confirm one way or the other. She initially had nodded her head that yes, she thought they were tabu- They were sorting provisional ballots in the building. I asked specifically, but yeah, she said she'd have to talk to the commissioner, and then four hours later, nothing. So, um, as far as the commissioner, yes, he was a- appointed by candidate Chris Kobach in this election. And he chose the specific machine machines that glitched out on, upon uploading results on election night. So Metz, Ronnie Metzger, Kobach appointee, chose these machines quite recently. And um, he made the recommendation to the commission in May. And they actually purchased them, I believe, in June. And they got an additional certification from them run through at the last second in July, so just a month or two ago. And... Um, I don't think it's really ironic. Coincidental? Probably not. The guy that signed the certification letter from the United States Election Assistance Commission mm-hmm. that certifies election equipment mm-hmm. was a man named, um, I think his first name is Brian Newby. You correct. can correct me if I have it wrong. Yeah, he's the former. And he, also, he was the former Johnson County Commissioner. Right, right. And Co- candidate Kobach helped get him that position to the EAC. So this equipment that caused all these problems, depending on your perspective, I guess, on the race... Um, it really came courtesy of Kobach's appointee and friend. And so now we're just still left, uh, where are we now, about two weeks after that primary race, we are still left to guess what went wrong with those machines, and we're uh, left to guess, I, I suppose, whether the incredibly close results are even correct. Collier has chosen to uh, concede instead of uh, uh, seek a recount or uh, a legal challenge, as he had been hinting early on in the process. But uh, I'm most troubled, uh, Jennifer, that you were not able to 
I, I mean, in, in one respect, there's not much to see when you've got computers counting these computer-marked so-called paper ballots, uh, but you weren't even able to see that process at all or the counting of provisional ballots? Uh, no, they, and they specifically wrote to me, um, I think it was very carefully written by legal counsel. Mm-hmm. I said, can I see the media? Actually, after I left, mm-hmm. even, I said, could we send our cameraman just to observe the and take pictures of the counting of provisional ballots? And the reply I got back was, the quote was, um, the public will not observe the counting of provisional ballots. And so then I said, do you mean that you're forbidding the public to observe it? And she said, I answered your question or something to that mm-hmm. effect. So they were effectively forbidding it. They wouldn't tell us, yeah, they, they, they wouldn't let us go. But w- one thing that occurred to me while I was there, and it, it reminds me a bit of what you were talking about in Michigan, mm-hmm. is that it would be really great if we could at least get the copies of the vote tally printouts that are generated by the the precinct-based machines, yeah. whether they're scanners or touch screens. I mm-hmm. believe they both types can produce these things mm-hmm. and probably did right. on Election Day. And, so, and, and then compare those against the reported results because although these vote tally sheets would not tell us whether the tallies themselves on the vote tally sheets were correct, mm-hmm. they would at least tell us whether there was a subsequent change, subsequent alteration to them during uploading right. or after that sort of suspicious glitches during the actual uploading of results. And so I'd really like to see those real-time audit logs. And I've, I've asked, and I, I already have a good idea what the answer will be, because um, there's a, st- a statistician in Kansas who's kind of a local hero, I think, in the election integrity movement there, mm-hmm. for, um, because she's been trying to get real-time audit logs since about 2012. Maybe it started in more in 2014, but... She's been trying to get real-time audit logs, certainly from the 2014 election, and she's in court. Her case has been, um, she lost in the district court. Uh, the uh, COBOX cited a statute that says you can't, after the um, election contest period expires, mm-hmm. it's illegal to show anyone the contents of any ballot. So he used that law, and, and the Sed- it was, this was Sedgwick County, and the Sedgwick County mm-hmm. Commissioner used that law to say that they could not possibly give her copies of the real-time audit logs, which of course are not ballots. And even Georgia, which is one of the least transparent states in the country when it comes to elections and pretty much anything else government-oriented, even it posts its real-time audit logs publicly on election night. And that's, uh, you're talking about Beth Clarkson, by the way. She's the uh, statistician there. She's been on this show a couple of times uh, in that fight. And it it underscores, uh, Jenny, why I, you know, as you know, I have long been calling for people, voters, your job is not done when you cast your vote. Get to the election, uh, get to uh, to the precincts on election night when... The polls close and take photos of if they don't uh, they don't print out necessarily uh, audit uh, logs like the full audit logs of what you know is actually stored in the machine, but they print out results at least that those machines have tabulated. And again, vote tally, right? Yeah. Some some sort of vote tally right. report. It may yeah. be a really long tape like Georgia, yeah. or it may be something shorter. Exactly. And then that would give us uh, something to compare with the uh, results that are then reported from uh, headquarters. But if you don't get them on election night, if you don't get in there with your iPhone and take a picture of those things, it can be a months-long, years-long process trying to do a Freedom of Information Act in some locations to get at that information. Yeah, this has been sitting, apparently, in the um, Court of Appeal for over for almost a year now. So it's been fully briefed and fully argued and even supplementally briefed. And that I believe the supplemental briefing was done 
in October of last year, mm-hmm. so it's been almost a year. And I asked the, one of the lawyers who represented Beth Clarkson when if the court had any kind of a deadline. I mean, I imagine there actually is a deadline in the, where the case will be dismissed after five years or mm-hmm. something. If the, but he didn't think there was a deadline. So I don't know what's going on with that judge. I kind of want to look into that myself later this in is, my spare time. This, yeah, this, and this is the, the, the fight for election integrity that uh, I know you've been on since uh, 2016. I've been on for uh, longer than I care to count at this point. A couple of decades, probably, yeah, right? At this point, I, yeah. I was late in the game. But you were on uh, the broadcast several months ago. And it, let me just underscore the point. You, in your article at uh, the Young Turks, you talk about the fact that uh, Collier was moderately ahead, and then this so-called glitch happened, and then Kobach yeah. ended up being ahead, and we don't know. The uh, bottom line is we don't know if the flipped results there that occurred during the, uh, you know, before and after the glitch resulted in what came out. But that's the problem. We don't know. We can't know. And to that end, you were on the broadcast, Jenny, several months ago after writing about, after warning about this exact type of system, this specifically. Yes, and this you, system. you know what's so crazy yeah. is the reason well, I don't know exactly why the Young Turks thought to call me on this particular occasion, but I had been posting on social media that I, I was in on it when they were debating the machines in Johnson County in the mm-hmm. sense that um, a few people in Kansas had reached out to me and I think gave my article to the, to the election commissioners and certainly the Shawnee Mission Post, which is a, a very good local mm-hmm. um, paper there, had done an article on it, and they had interviewed me about the problems with the express vote, and more importantly, really, um, well, I shouldn't say that, equally importantly, a a computer Mm -hmm. science professor, election expert Duncan Buell, who I'm sure you know, Mm -hmm. they had interviewed him about the problems, and I am certain that the election commission saw these concerns, and they went ahead and got them anyway, and the machines, it wasn't just the uploading problems that the machines had, by the way, on election day, that's sort of Maybe the most important, I don't know, but in the long term, it may not be the most important. For that particular election, I think it was. But it had all kinds of, all the problems that I predicted and that, and that Professor Buell predicted came to fruition with the long lines and yeah. machines failing and them not having paper ballot backups that poll workers knew to give voters, so then voters were disenfranchised because they just left without voting. Confusion about whether they were supposed to even verify those computer-marked so-called paper ballot summary cards. And that's what I want to very quickly, Jenny, I want to, because I'm I'm running late today because we've got so much breaking news. So I want to ask you uh, very quickly, uh, you had warned about this. This type of system is now being used all over the country, not just in Kansas, but actually the ESNS Express vote, uh, according to Verified Voting, the one that failed in Kansas, is now used in 16 states, plus the District of Columbia. Specifically, Arizona and Florida use this system. They will have their primary elections next week. It's also used in Iowa, Idaho, Maine, Michigan, Missouri, Mississippi, Nevada, Ohio, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Virginia, Wisconsin, and West Virginia. Very yeah, all quickly. The swing states. Oh, all, all the way? Yeah. All the swing states are in there, too. Yeah. yeah. Pennsylvania is considering it very seriously for the whole state. Let me uh, let you, since I'm running short here, uh, let me let you just very quickly, if you can, explain why you are concerned about not just this specific model, the ESNS Express vote, but the type of uh, voting system uh, and the so-called paper ballots that this system creates. Uh, we talked about it a few months ago, but I think people right. need to well, understand th- this. 
there's two aspects of it. Um, the one that's sort of the most conceptually easy to understand is that the card has um, both text and a barcode, but the only part that's actually counted as your vote is the barcode. Mm-hmm. And um, voters can't read barcodes. They're unverifiable. So unless... Um, so, so that's the, you, you really don't know what's being cast as your vote. You, voters have no opportunity to verify that. So it could be anything, really, that's put into the barcode. It's an, for you, it's an invitation to fraud. The comeback to that that you often will hear is that, oh, but there's a text summary on this summary card, and that can be used in an audit. Um, there are a whole bunch of responses to that, but um, I think really the best way to summarize it is to say that those, that text is not a reliable record of voter intent. And um, for a number of reasons, one of which is that studies have already shown with paper audit trails, something very similar, that voters almost never look at them, or mm-hmm. the majority of voters don't look at them. Right, the ones that are printed out two, by it, those uh, touchscreen machines, yeah. Right, and then number two, I got a great quote from um, election integrity advocate Marilyn Marks for this um, mm-hmm. TYT story on Kansas, is that most voters don't have 100% recall of everything on their multi-item ballot. Often these ballots are, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 items long. And so they're unable to remember um, looking at that summary card, whether it accurately reflects their selections. It's an extremely abbreviated card, and therefore it's just not a reliable record of voter intent. Entire races could be deleted, and voters likely wouldn't notice it. Um, and And most likely... Some races could even be, or selections could be flipped and voters wouldn't notice it. And yet they'll point back to, oh, look, it's a computer printed uh, so-called paper ballot that the voter had the ability to verify before uh, dropping it in the box. So if they they didn't... They gave conflicting instructions, apparently, at the polls in Kansas on this. That was something voters were actually interviewed saying they were confused. They weren't even asked if they were confused. They volunteered they were confused. And apparently the express vote manual describes the verification as optional. I mean, not apparently. That's mm-hmm. what I read. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's, a, there's a way that the voters can just dump the paper ballot into a bin without ever even looking at it. Yep. And I don't know if that was in play in Kansas, but apparently that is, that is like the default function, I believe. Um, I mean, the other thing is just with all touchscreens, they cause long lines because it limits the number of people who can vote at once to the number of touchscreens at the polls. And that happened in Kansas. And, of course, with the touchscreen, if they fail, voters may not have anything to vote on at all. And those are very serious problems. And all of those problems happened in a yeah. uh, in a primary election, which is uh, traditionally much more low turnout than the general election. So buckle up for this November. Jennifer Cohn, I really appreciate uh, your work on this, uh, your important work that you're doing, not just at uh, TYTinvestigates.com, but specifically people should follow you on Twitter, one of the best follows if you're looking for election integrity coverage between now and November, and I suspect following November as well, uh, you can find her at Jenny Cohn, the number one. Jenny Cohn, one. Jennifer Cohn, greatly appreciate you joining us here today. Uh, stay in close touch. We'll be talking again soon. Thank you, Brad. You bet. Okay, quick break. And we are back with what would have been the biggest news of the day, I think Donald Trump tossing out. Barack Obama's clean power plan in favor of his own, which uh, is not clean and is not much of a plan. Anyway, we'll talk about that in the Green News Report. Coming up with Desi Doyen right after this, I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. (laughs) 
Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Once again, repeating the uh, our top stories breaking just before air today. Ma- uh, Paul Manafort, Donald Trump's campaign chair, convicted on eight counts in his first of two federal trials. Uh, and Donald Trump's personal lawyer and longtime fixer, Michael Cohen, was also in court and admits that he paid off women who claimed uh, at least one woman who claimed to have an affair. Uh, and he did so at Donald Trump's direction, made that payment of one hundred and thirty thousand dollars to Stormy Daniels. Michael Cohen pleaded guilty to campaign finance and other charges in federal court today, all of which uh, means that, um, well, I had hoped to talk a little bit more about Donald Trump's new plan to replace Barack Obama's clean power plan uh, on today's show. We talk about it in our Green News report. I hope to talk about it uh, some more today, but we will have to keep that for our next broadcast. Until then, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. No single regulation threatens our miners, energy workers and companies more than this crushing attack on American industry. Trump's move to replace Obama's clean power plan will increase global warming and air pollution. Australia's conservative government abandons its emissions targets. Plus, the Interior Department cancels plan to sell off land stripped from National Monument. For now, all of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news. Politics, analysis, and snarky comment. This July we just had was the hottest month ever in California's history. Uh, Applause. (laughs) Trump fans, this is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter, and now Donald Trump Wants to make it hotter still, apparently. Yes, apparently he does. The Trump administration is proposing to significantly weaken U.S. climate policy. Two years ago, President Barack Obama announced his landmark Clean Power Plan, the first ever carbon emission standards for the nation's power plants to reduce the U.S. contribution to global greenhouse gas emissions that cause dangerous global warming. We're the first generation to feel the impact of climate change and the last generation that can do something about it. And that's why I committed the United States to leading the world on this challenge, because I believe there is such a thing as being too late. 
Now, the Trump administration is formally proposing its own replacement for the clean power plan. Of course they are. Obama came up with the last one. we got to get rid of that. Everyone knows it. Critics say it will significantly weaken efforts to reduce U.S. carbon emissions. According to the New York Times, the Trump proposal will allow states to set their own emission standards or even opt out of setting any standards altogether. The Washington Post calculates Trump's proposed replacement would release 12 times more carbon dioxide emissions into the atmosphere than Obama's plan would have over the same time period. Trump's EPA intends to argue that Obama's EPA exceeded its federal authority in proposing the Clean Power Plan emission standards, and Trump will focus on saving the utility industry $400 million in compliance costs every year and have only negligible benefits to the climate. But Obama's plan was crucial to meeting U.S. climate commitments to reduce greenhouse gas emissions under the United Nations Paris Climate Agreement. Which, of course, we're no longer in, so why do we have to meet those commitments? Actually, we're still in the Paris Climate Agreement, and we won't be formally out of it until 2020. Oh, well, details. Trump's proposed policy would also allow old coal plants to continue spewing deadly pollutant toxins like sulfur dioxide, nitrous oxide, and mercury into the air without having to upgrade their pollution controls. And there's the heart of the matter. Help out those coal people, and Donald Trump doesn't care how many people it kills or how much of the planet it suffocates. Obama's clean power plan would have been the pollution equivalent of taking 75 million cars off the road, while Trump's plan, at best, would be like taking just 5 million cars off the road. Energy analysts say it's unlikely the Trump administration's efforts to bail out the coal industry will stop its long-term decline in U.S. electricity markets because that is caused by cheaper natural gas and renewables, not regulation. For example, a new report from the Appalachian Regional Commission on Monday found no significant increase in coal jobs in the state of Kentucky under Trump's policies. You mean after all that Trump has done for coal miners? It's not increasing the jobs? At least not in Kentucky. Who could have predicted that? over and over and over again, as we did. Trump's proposal will likely trigger a legal battle, but even if it ultimately fails, valuable time will have been lost in the interim as polluting industries continue releasing carbon dioxide emissions that will warm the atmosphere for a thousand years. Now, Trump is not the only leader abandoning climate action. On Monday, Australia's conservative Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull announced that he is abandoning Australia's targets for reducing carbon emissions bowing to pressure from his party's climate change denier lawmakers who threatened to hold a no-confidence vote if Mr. Turnbull followed through on introducing mild policies to curb greenhouse gas emissions. Meanwhile, the impacts of climate change are already here. From the unprecedented string of all-time high temperature records broken around the world this summer to a rash of deadly extreme rainfall events like in Kerala, India, which has received 40% more rainfall than average for this year in just a few weeks. That has triggered catastrophic flooding that's killed nearly 300 people and forced an estimated 800,000 people from their homes. Finally, a bit of good news, a small victory for public lands. The Interior Department's Bureau of Land Management late Friday canceled all plans to sell off land that has been stripped from Utah's Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument after a massive backlash from environmental groups and the public. So there's that. So there's that. We'll take it. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. 
I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. I'm going to clean up the mess I made. Maybe it's not too late. Oh, it's too late. Maybe it's not <laughs> well, for all the folks who are going to potentially die from the increase in air pollution, yeah, it's a very dangerous and scary thing. Uh, yeah, you're talking about uh, the Donald Trump. Does he have a name for that plan? That uh, Yes, it, the uh, Affordable Clean Energy Rule, which I cannot imagine a more Orwellian name to call it affordable and clean since it focuses on expensive coal. And we're learning more about the uh, fine print details of that plan uh, as it's being officially released today. Uh, the New York Times has a report on this and that uh, Gavin Newsom, the uh, California's Democratic nominee for governor, current lieutenant governor, he sort of summed up in a tweet saying, quote, Trump's plan will result in 1,400 premature deaths. I think that's per year, that's by per the way, year. annually. Uh, 48,000 exacerbated asthma cases, 21,000 new missed days of school annually. He notes, all by 2030, adding actions have consequences, real Donald Trump. Uh, your plan endangers public health, our air, and our planet. 1,400 people a year who otherwise wouldn't have to die from premature death caused by air pollution. That is what the Trump administration is going for on purpose. Their own data says that. Now yep. is the time. The public comment period on this new supposed rule is now open. Go to regulations.gov if you would like the Trump administration to hear your thoughts. Making America deadly again. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. My thanks to my guest today, Jennifer Cohen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show down or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Share it with your friends and family. They will love you forever. I promise. You can also drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. Hope you'll find, follow, and share me there as well. And as ever, my thanks to those of you who keep us going, who keep us on your public airwaves as long as we possibly can keep going, at least through uh, this year's crucial November midterms. Uh, we can't do it without you. You're the only ones who support us. So if uh, those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate... I thank you, those who have yet to do it. What are you waiting for? Bradblog.com slash donate. Okay, that's it. Until tomorrow's disasters, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.